Well, thank you for joining us once again. Have you ever had an encounter that changed your life, that, that made such an impact that you're never able to look or act or do something the same way ever again? I remember in my later teens that we were out at our family's bush block up in the Grampians. And my cousin was there and he had a paddock bomb, an old beat down car that we were just used to drive all over the place and where we learned how to drive and have some fun. But also at this bush block was a dam, a, a watering dam for, for some of the animals. But it was a dam that had built up sides on both sides. And the entire family was there, the extended family was there. And there was this moment where my cousin is is about 100 metres away from the bank of this dam in the paddock bomb, about to do this tremendous feat. This is daredevil-style stuff. The, the anticipation of this paddock bomb racing towards the edge of the dam, the, the launch as in full Dukes of Hazard style. If you don't know what Dukes of Hazard is, Google it. It's awesome. It'll change your life. In full Dukes of Hazard style, the car would jump over the dam. Only most... Paddock bombs aren't professional stunt cars and don't have that much go. And so to everyone's delight and horror, equal parts, the car came screaming towards the side of the, the dam, not going very fast at all. It went up one side without leaving the ground. It then went down the other side without leaving the ground, made a huge, tremendous tidal wave of the water in the dam and then stopped in the very middle and sank. And... <laughs> And we, we were able to tow the car out, and it got going again, and, and it, was, it was fun. But the thing about that memory that is just so ingrained in our head, in the heads of those that were there to watch it, in my head particularly, means that, that I can never look at a dam the same way ever again, especially that dam. Every time I see it, I get a goofy grin on my face, remembering that, that moment, that story. But... But any time I see a dam, that memory jumps to mind. Now, that's a, a story that took place in my teenage years. There's been so many other moments that have been a, such a transformational experience. That means that I can't act or look or do things that I used to do the, way, the same way ever again. For some of us, when we think about those transformational experiences, we think of the day we got married, the day we had children, the day we got that job, the day we, we got our marks or the, the day we sat that exam, the day we, we started to study, the day we celebrated a, a momentous occasion, the, the day that we achieved that goal, that, that day on the sporting field where you, you hit the six or, or you won that grand final, that, that that moment where you accepted Christ, that time where, where you or maybe you baptized a friend through the, the, the waters of baptism, that time when you encountered the Holy Spirit, that time you saw his power. There, there's so many moments in our life that are so transformational that we can never go back. We can never go to the way things were the same ever again. Today, as we look at Scripture, we're looking at a transformational experience that shows what one encounter with Jesus can do. And if you need that transformational experience today in your life or in the life of someone close to you, then this message is right around and about that for you or for your friend. So let's dive in. But before we do, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we dive into Scripture today, we pray that the transformational encounter that you want for us would be revealed. 
but also the transformational encounter that you want for those around us, those that we care about the most. I pray that we would be encouraged and spurred on to be the change, to act the way you've called us to act for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today we build on last week. If you missed last week's message, we started reading through the book of John as we do a series as a church together. And last week we were challenged about a couple of things. And one of the things was, what does it look like to to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? We talked a little bit about what a yoke was. And what is the idea of being under Jesus' yoke, to, to live like Jesus, to, to breathe like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to be Jesus, to, to become like him? What does it look like to live that out? And in part of this story, we see that the disciples, towards the end of John chapter 4, we see the disciples are doing just that, becoming like Jesus, sitting under his teaching, being wrestled. But we also get to see the way Jesus treats those around him. But before we dive in, we need to understand a little bit of context of what is taking place in the world. It's kind of like in 50 years' time saying, remember what 2020 was like in a COVID world and trying to explain it, or using the language of 2020 without any reference to what was taking place into the world. And so we need to understand what is the world like that Jesus is interacting and who is Jesus talking to and why does that matter? A little bit of the history lesson goes like this, that you see in the Old Testament, what we see take place is is through Scripture we have these moments, these moments where God's people are called to be set apart and pure, to live a certain way, to act a certain way, to eat a certain way, to to marry a certain way, to live a certain way. And they were led to a, a land called the Promised Land, and when they followed God, God was with them, and when They didn't follow God. God couldn't be with them. The promised land was called Canaan. And they landed in this land and things were going well, but they didn't follow all the rules. And because they didn't, things weren't going so well and their pride got the best of them. And this land was broken into two halves, a northern and a southern part of the land. And because they hadn't been fully committed to to following Christ the way, uh, to following God, Yahweh, the way that they should have been, some of these people groups even broke off and started to marry, not the way that God wanted them to, but marry the enemies in the land and those around them. And, and what we see is this people group, especially one group that broke off and started to marry those of the land, was no, this group was known as the Samaritans. Why is it important that we understand what the Samaritans are about? Well, firstly, we see that the Samaritans are actually still around today in 2020. There's a group that identifies the Samaritans and they still go to a mountain where they believe that's where their God is and they worship. There's ruins that are there now that they still go at certain times of the year and practice some of their traditions. And they go there and it's a holy place for this people group. Now, to understand who the Samaritans are, firstly, we've got to understand a little bit about who God's people were meant to be. So firstly, the Samaritans married different people groups within the region. Now, while today we think that you know, marrying other races and nations and cultures and people of ethnic backgrounds is totally fine. There's nothing, I think I've got some Scottish in me and a bit of English... Uh, If I go back far enough, maybe a little bit of German even. 
And, and, and that's okay. But back in those days, when that was to be set apart from the rest of the world, you weren't to marry others. Especially those that were, had taken possession of God's land, they were the enemy. And so the Samaritans had married <coughs> excuse me, some of these people, so they were racially mixed. Because of that, they started following the gods of that land, and so they were partly pagan ancestry, like not worshipping Yahweh at all, and they corrected themselves, and they only accepted the, the Torah. And, and by only accepting the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they ignored the, the prophets and the, the kings and, and all the other history that took place in God's Word. And they, they had a strict Mosaic law, which meant they only followed the, the Torah, the laws that Moses laid down. They didn't follow any other, the, the wisdom of Solomon. They didn't take those things into account. And they, because of the, the mixed racial um, influences and because the language changed and the other godly influences from the pagan ancestry, they spoke God's name differently. And so as a Jew, a Samaritan was seen as so detestable because they, they weren't set apart, they weren't pure, they were racially mixed, they, they weren't worshipping God and putting God first in all things. They, they didn't accept what God had done since the time of Moses and, and through the kings and the times that God had been faithful throughout the rest of the Old Testament and the writings and the prophecies of the Messiah. They had a, a strict Mosaic law which was, was so limiting in what God had been doing since that time and they also blasphemed God's name by speaking it differently. So on every account, a Samaritan was seen as being so detestable. In every account, the Samaritans just failed dismally. And so because of that, Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. They would walk on the other side of the street. They, they wouldn't have anything to do with them. And so when Jesus, time and time again, tells stories about the good Samaritan. He doesn't talk about race or, or where they've come from or what they've been apart. They, he talks about their character and their heart and aligns it with God's heart many times in, in many of the stories. But this particular passage actually sees not the stories that Jesus told, but the way that Jesus acted towards others. If you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open to John chapter 4. We'll put the words on the screen, but I'd encourage you to read along because there's far more in the Gospel of John than what we can cover in one single message. And so John chapter 4, we see that, that firstly, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water in verse 7, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, now firstly, we, we pause there for a second because we see that that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Fully human in that, that he's tired, he sits down next to the well and he, he sees the Samaritan woman is there drawing water. He says, can you draw some water for me as well, please? Now, we would see that and go, oh, that's okay. But when you realize the context and the culture and what is going on, the next verse comes alive. The Samaritan woman, verse 9, says to him, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Like, seriously, do you understand how inappropriate this is? I'm, I'm number one, like, you're a Jew, but I'm a Samaritan. I'm not even a male. I'm a female. I'm a woman. Like, what? This is so inappropriate. This, this is not what should be done. Who's looking? What's going on? You can't do this. 
Jesus answered her in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that asked you for the drink, then you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. Jesus is saying, do you know what? I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you a gift of relationship and acceptance firstly, but there's more. There's so much more than what you're looking for. Like You're, you're talking, talking about getting a, a drink from a bucket. You're, like, you're getting your, your jar and you, you want to get drink, but there's more to life than, than what you're seeking. And they start this conversation around water, and then Jesus says that, I'll give you water that will never run out. I'll give you water that won't ever stop, that, that, that will be living water, that, that will keep going forever. And the woman says, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so I don't have, won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming back to draw water. I don't want to come back to, to the, the well. I don't want to come back and draw water. I want water that, that won't run out. I just actually want to stay at home all by myself and drink water. There's more to the story that's going to be told but she she's got this physical need of water and she doesn't want to have to go and get water from the well the the water that she's getting from the well she's getting in the middle of the day it's an odd time to be going to draw water it's it's an odd time because the, the middle of the day was where you'd, you prepare lunch and then in desert countries then where it's the heat, the hot part of the day, you wouldn't be outside, you'd be inside. You might be doing some work inside or you might just be having a rest. And then you know, the early part and the later part of the day is where you go out and you work the field and you, you go around your daily jobs. But not in the middle of the day, it's where the, the sun's at its highest. You, you, you stay inside, you get some food, but then you... You stay inside, you don't go out. So why is this woman out in the heat of the day getting water from the well? There is a reason why she's not out when everybody else is out. She's trying to avoid people for a reason and a purpose. And they start this conversation, and in the conversation, she, she says, well, well, I, I see that you're educated, but you're a Jew. And, and Jew, as we know, Jews... You, you worship in, in the city. We worship on the mountain. We're Samaritans. God's on the, for us, God is on the mountain. For, for you, like, God's in the city, isn't it? Isn't Jesus in Jerusalem? Isn't that where your God is, in the temple? Like, what, we're so far apart. I see that you know some stuff. I see that you're wise. I see you, you, you've got a relationship, but... But we're, we're so different. You say God is here. We say God is here. It doesn't work. We're not compatible. So while I see the relationship, I, I can't grasp what you're saying because there's a void. There's a difference of understanding. And Jesus breaks down the barrier and says these words. In verse 24, God is spirit. And he's worshippers. His worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. His worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. You see, when, when then she, she goes a little bit deeper, you see, Jesus has had this conversation with her, and he says, well, go, go and grab your husband, and we can have a conversation. The woman goes, well, I, I actually don't have a husband. 
And Jesus goes, that's correct. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man that you're with at the moment is not your husband. And by saying this, all of a sudden the woman's like, whoa, you've got some, you've got some credibility. Wow, this, this void of God being here or here. What? I, I'm, tell, me what, tell me what's going on with this. I, I don't understand. Like, obviously you, there's something to you, but, but we're so far apart. How does this work? This woman who'd been trying to fulfill her, her physical needs, her physical needs of getting water, but also trying to fill her emotional needs or social needs by, by seeking relationship again and again and again and again and again with her five husbands and again with the man that she's with that's not her husband and trying to fill the void in her life for purpose and meaning and fulfillment. And, and everything kept failing. She wasn't happy with the bucket. She didn't want to keep coming back to, to meet that physical need. She wasn't happy with five husbands and the man she's with not her husband. She wasn't happy with those things, but she was also searching for something else. And Jesus says, we've got to worship in spirit. And she replies with this the, in verse 25. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. I've got physical needs, I've got emotional needs, I've got social needs. I'm so ashamed of the way that I've lived that I don't want anyone to see me out in public. So I'm going out in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, when no one else is around, so I can cover my head in shame and get my water and get back home. I don't want people to see me. People judge me all the time. I'm an outcast. I don't fit in. So I'm going to run away from people so they don't see me. I'm going to get what I need. I'm just going to go back and I'm going to live in my little bubble trying to fill these things. But I know that there is a, a better way. I know that there is a Messiah, someone that's going to save us. And he's going to explain everything. Jesus replies in verse 26, then he declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Incredible I am statements throughout the Bible, but I am he. I am the one that you're looking for. I am the one. I am the answer to these gaps, these voids, these things that you keep trying to fill within your life. I am the one that has the answers. I am the one that is going to fulfill you. And in that moment, something radically changes within the Samaritan woman's life. Her identity, her, her, her need for purpose, her need for fulfillment is totally filled and something radically changes. There is a transformation in that moment that takes place that can never be undone. And, and it says these words in verse 26, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town. The reason she was out of town is she had a physical need. Something that she needed. The reason she was out in the middle of the day was because she was running away from people. She didn't want to be judged. And after that moment, we see her life is radically transformed. She leaves her water jug and she runs back to the people that she'd been running away from. And she runs straight up to them, knocking on doors of all the people that are inside and starts saying, come see the man, verse 29, he told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Can you picture that moment? She's knocking on the door and, and another, another wife opens the door and is like, oh, no, I know what you're like with husbands. You're not coming anywhere near my household. She's like, no, 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 come and see the man that told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Aren't you the person that, you know, had all those, 
I don't care about that. You've got to come see this guy. You've got to come see the man who told me everything I've ever done. He knew everything. This could be the guy. This could be the one that's not just given me some fulfillment, but could give fulfillment to you. And she starts knocking on doors and running around the town and yelling out, and people open windows. What is she doing? What's going on? Verse 30, they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Because of her testimony, people were drawn to Jesus. Because of what she said, people were drawn to Jesus. And it says in verse 39 that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Verse 40, then the Samaritans came to him and they urged him to stay with them. He stayed for two days and because of his words, many more became believers. This this story of Jesus interacting with people is so powerful for so many reasons. The first one being that he didn't see the woman through a filter of race or gender, of preconceived ideas. He didn't judge her because of her lifestyle. He saw her as a child of God. He saw her because of who God made her to be. He took pity on her because she was so lost. She was chasing fulfillment in all these worldly ways that weren't ticking the box, that weren't filling the void. He has compassion on her. He cares for her and he starts just with a simple conversation. Doesn't lead with judgment, but leads with grace. He knows she's done wrong. He points that out. He knows it. He doesn't condemn her from it. He leads with grace and love. And because of that, her life is totally transformed. And the things that she was doing wrong to fill the voids didn't matter anymore because she had Christ filling the void within her life. There's some challenges for us as a church that come out of this passage. Firstly, have you experienced what it is to have Jesus fill that void? Do you understand what it is to to have an encounter with Jesus Christ that is so powerful, that is such a radical transformation that you can never go back to the way that you used to live? You can never see people the same way ever again. You can never act the same way you used to act ever again. If you haven't had that encounter, I want you to pray a really simple prayer right now. If you want that radical transformation, if you want that relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to pray this prayer right now. The prayer says, God, I am sorry for the things that I have done wrong. Lord, I invite Jesus into my heart. And from this day forwards, I want to live the way that Jesus lived. I want the Holy Spirit in my life to guide me. I want to say thank you that Jesus took away the things that I've done wrong on the cross. And from this day forwards, I want a radical transformation to become who you want me to become. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to to reach out to a Christian that you know, or maybe reach out to the church. We'd love to get you a Bible and we'd love to journey with you as you learn a little bit more about this person of Jesus Christ. For some of us, though, we've, 
we've been a Christian for a while. We've been a follower of Christ. We've, we've had the encounter. We know who he is. We've accepted him into our life. But, but sometimes it, it, there's a wrestle, and I love this story because towards the end, the disciples come back and they're having a wrestle with Jesus about, well, these are Samaritans. Hang on, what? Huh? Because of preconceived ideas. And I want to ask us the question, do we treat people the way that Jesus did? Do we see people the way that Jesus saw people? As Christians, as followers of Christ, do we treat people like Jesus did? Imagine what that would look like with the conversations that we have if we led with grace and love rather than judgment. What would it look like if we saw somebody sitting there and we saw them as a child of God, broken, hurting, that needs to know the love of Jesus Christ, that needs the radical transformation to take place within them? How would we act? One of the challenges I know for me in in this passage is that, that because Jesus saw the need within the people, he just dropped everything and for two days, just spent two days with the people. And I keep reading this passage, and I know for me, I love routine. I love being organized. I love my diary being set out, knowing what's coming up, being able to plan well. You know, so COVID has been great fun as someone that likes to be organized and have their diary planned and set out. You know, it, it's, it's hard. And the challenge, I know for me personally, is when I see that Jesus in the moment was tired was exhausted, didn't look for some time off, but just dropped whatever his plans were and spent two days because that was his primary mission, to lead people and and that spiritual fulfillment that took place through him revealing himself and people realizing who he was and what that meant for their relationship with God the Father. Incredibly challenging. I wonder for us what that looks like in the way that we see others. Do we, do we have that compassion? That the second challenge is, what transformation does Jesus want for you? What transformation does he want in your life? Is there something physical that you're hanging on to, that you're trying to fill the void that you need to let go? Is there something social that you're trying to hang on? There's a relationship that you need to let go of. There's, a, there's, there's something that's quite toxic that you're, you're trying to fill the void within your life. with. You need to let go and give that space to Jesus. Is there something spiritual that you're pursuing that you know is not right? And Jesus is the answer. Because when you have Jesus in you, there is living water that will never, you will never go thirsty again. There is a relationship with your creator that will fill the void. There is spiritual fulfillment in purpose and identity that gives you a a reason to live. This woman that was ashamed going to the well to, to fulfill her needs all of a sudden became on fire for Christ. She ran to what she was running away from for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Her job was to lead people to Jesus. Jesus' job was to save them for all eternity. And I love that the gospel takes place even in John 4 before he goes to the cross. People believe in Jesus and are saved even before he goes through what he does. We're going to read in a few weeks' time on the cross. What transformation does Jesus want for you? This woman had one. One encounter radically transformed her life. How many of us have been coming to church for years 
and deeply desire that encounter still. The good news is that all you need to do is look to Jesus because his words to the woman are the same words he wants to say to you today. I know there's someone. I know there's an answer. He says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one that will deliver. I'm the one that will fulfill. I'm the one that will show miraculous things. I'm the one that will bring transformation. I ought to say, I still can't look at a dam in a paddock the same way again because of that encounter I had as a teenager. How much more is the power of God in our lives, the transformation that we can't see anything the same again because of Christ in us. My prayer for us as a church that we would have radical transformation, not because of our doing, not because of the efforts that we try and do, getting the buckets of water and trying to fulfill our own needs, but by finding our identity in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible story of how much you loved all of your people, even a Samaritan woman, so much so that you would take not only the time but the energy and care, that you would show love and grace into her, that you would see through the things that she had done wrong and seen the potential that lay there. And in loving her, just unleashed her upon her town and because of her words, an entire city saw a radical transformation as many people are led to Christ. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would see the same, that our, our families, that our communities, that our spheres of influence, our little worlds in our work world or our home world or our social world would see revival the same way we saw revival break out in that Samaritan town that we would be so on fire that we would go into those communities and share the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would be able to do our part sharing what God has done in us, lead them to Jesus so that Jesus can do his part and save them from an eternity without the relationship of their creator. Lord, I pray for radical transformation in each and every one of us as we grow to be the people God has called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.